these are the good news of Jesus, according to John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, He is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you come to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Today I would like to focus my thoughts on our reading from the first book of Samuel this morning. And I do so in the context of what has happened on uh, this past Wednesday, January 6th, and in the context of all that has happened the last four years, and perhaps in the context of what's happened in the decades, if not centuries, uh, before that. I'm struck by the feeling that is, that is conveyed at the beginning of this passage. It says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that visions were not widespread. It talks about how Eli's eyesight uh, was beginning to grow dim and how he was then able to see as he had been uh, able to see earlier in his life. I don't think the narrator is simply uh, describing Eli's uh, physical inability to see. I imagine that the narrator is also talking about Eli's inability to see how God might be acting in his midst. It talks about a light, a lamp of God that has not quite gone out, but the feeling is that it is certainly fading. And hearing these words in both literal and metaphorical ways, it evokes feelings of grief and diminishing hope. It is easy to relate these feelings uh, to what is happening in our own context today with everything that is going on in our world. You've heard me say more than once that scripture seems to jump out at us and connect with us more easily in challenging times because scripture typically was written in challenging times. And our first reading today is no exception. In this reading, Eli no longer expects to hear or see anything of God. It's not so much that Eli feels somehow that God has left the building, but more that Eli himself 
uh, seems paralyzed and incapable of doing what is necessary uh, to put his own house in order. Instead of being a model of courageous and prophetic leadership and community care, Eli and his priestly sons came to embody corruption and injustice and a complete disregard for the people and the institutions that they were charged to care for. In the chapter before this passage today, the narrator tells us that the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no regard for the word or for the duties of the priest to the people. When anyone offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And also they would... It says, lay with women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Finally, in the prior chapter, it says that the sin of the young men, that is the sons of Eli, was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated offerings of the Lord with contempt. But Eli, he doesn't do anything meaningful to prevent or change the actions and behavior of his sons. Instead, he allows this corruption to continue unchecked. By being silent to the injustices being perpetrated by his sons, he himself becomes complicit with them. Eli is a failed leader. So God does what God often does. When people in positions of power and privilege refuse to be agents of love and equality and justice, God looks to the margins and turns to those whom society often doesn't expect to play that kind of role and those whom society often deems incapable of even doing so. And in this case, because Eli is not doing anything about the situation, God turns to Samuel, a child on the periphery, a child whose vision is not clouded by special interests or political ambition, a child who is open to listening to unfamiliar voices and is not afraid to hear their sometimes uncomfortable messages. God begins to call Samuel in the middle of the night. But even Samuel is so conditioned at this point to think that God would never address him directly that he mistakenly thinks that it is Eli calling him, and he goes to him to inquire why. After God calls Samuel a couple more times, both Samuel and Eli realize that this voice, this voice coming to him in the middle of the night is coming directly from God. That must have been a terrifying moment for Eli to realize that not only was the God of justice and truth speaking to this boy Samuel, but that Eli himself was the one that they were probably speaking about. Eli knew that what was being spoken couldn't be good news for him. You can feel his fear and sense his anxiety when he tells Samuel to tell him everything, to not hide anything from him, and Samuel, he doesn't. It could not have been easy for Samuel, though, as his first prophetic act as a boy to proclaim that the house of Eli was about to fall. It couldn't have been easy to name the corruption in his own religious home, to call sin out for what it is, even as that calling that calling out ump upends the institution that sustains him. Nevertheless, 
Samuel shares with Eli. He shares with him everything that God had told him, hiding nothing from him, the, the story says, and not holding back this difficult and courageous truth-telling that Samuel embodies today at the end of our first reading will mark not only the end of the corrupt leadership of Eli and his sons, it will also mark the beginning of a new kind of leadership in Israel. From here, Samuel will begin to rise in power and influence in place of Eli's family. But he's not a priest. His life and his ministry will come to decenter what leadership actually looks like or had looked like up to that point, how prophetic proclamation and action were embodied, how injustice was called out and judgment bestowed. Unlike, unlike Eli, Samuel will not be interested simply sitting on a throne in a tabernacle, doling out judgment and offering up sacrifices, waiting for leaders and people to come to him and growing fat in the process. Check out chapter 4, verse 18, if you want to know what I'm talking about. Instead, Samuel will invert the model that Eli's family had embodied for so long, Samuel will turn that way of leadership upside down and go out to travel to the countryside, meeting leaders, meeting, he will go from uh, region to region and city to city, meeting leaders, meeting communities, uh, meeting people where they actually are, listening to their voices, listening to their stories and experiences in their own context, voices that were rarely heard or heeded, stories that historically those in power had not paid much attention to. We can learn a lot from Samuel's life and leadership. These past couple weeks, these past four years have brought many things to light in our country, many corrupt, unjust, and ugly things, many courageous, prophetic, and beautiful things. It has been a long, long season of epiphanies culminating on January 6th, the Feast of Epiphany, in an, in an explosive epiphany of violence, white entitlement, and despair. We find ourselves now at a crossroads in this country once again. The things that we've seen, the things that have been exposed and have come to light, they demand, they demand that our institutions, our ways of leadership and our traditions change. And if needed, that they be turned completely inside out and upside down. The story of Samuel, the boy on the margin, reminds us today how God works in moments like ours from the edges in, from the bottom up, with and through the unexpected, the unlikely, the unnoticed, to name injustice, to name corruption, to prophetically and courageously speak truth to power, and to realize God's community of justice and equality and love. As we witness this week the transition of presidential power in this country, we also celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in doing so, I am reminded of the question that King asked over 50 years ago in an address to the 11th Annual Convention of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1967. His address was titled, 
Where do we go from here? Chaos or community? In his speech, King recommitted to nonviolent social change. He criticized the white community in our country for having inaccurate and unrealistic views of the ongoing plight of African Americans and communities of color. He asserted that radical and bold change in America was not only just but necessary. And he concluded that all Americans must unite in order to fight poverty and create what he calls an equality of opportunity. So today, as we recall the courageous story of Samuel and as we remember the amazing life of Dr. King and as we celebrate our God of inversions who is always lifting up light, life and possibility from below and from the margins, let me close with the words that Dr. King closed his own speech mentioned above 54 years ago. Quote, when our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in the universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Amen.